0: I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to this podcast homily for Second Sunday after the Epiphany, celebrating another of the ways in which Jesus shone forth his majesty and glory to the world. It is one of the AIC series of homilies for all the Sundays in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. Revisions to this series are part of the AIC's continuing celebration of the start of its second decade on the web. The musical theme is an arrangement of We Three Kings of Orient Are, performed by Electron Planet. The arrangement, used under license, is the musical theme for the companion AIC video series Epiphany, The Manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. Listeners may benefit from the AIC seasonal video series Epiphany, the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles, which is presented in 3 episodes each linked from the digital library page with the podcast version linked from the podcast archive page at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The series offers a brief history of the evolution of Epiphany season, Anglican traditions of Epiphany Comment on the Collect, Epistle, and Gospel readings for Epiphany Day and the six Sundays after the Epiphany in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. The Collect, Epistle, and Gospel readings for Second Sunday after the Epiphany are discussed in Episode 2. The Epistle reading for Second Sunday after the Epiphany is Romans 12, verses 6-16. to which includes St. Paul's homily on the Christian virtues, especially love and humility. In his first epistle to the Corinthians, St. Paul extolled three primary virtues, faith, hope, and love, or charity in the King James Version. The virtues which St. Paul listed would be codified by the 6th, 7th, and 8th centuries in both the Eastern and the Western Church into the seven contrary virtues, that is, those seven virtues which are the direct opposite of the seven cardinal sins. The seven contrary virtues are humility, kindness, abstinence, chastity, patience, liberality, and diligence. St. Paul encouraged readers to understand that whatever they have, it is the result of the sovereign grace of the Father, which is another way of pointing toward the true meaning of our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer. I like the New King James Version's text for the final two verses, but for this podcast homily for Second Sunday after the Epiphany, I have added a few more verses in order to put the quotation into its proper moral context. The scripture quotation in verse 19, Vengeance is Mine, comes from Leviticus 19, verse 18. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In the Gospel reading for Second Sunday after the Epiphany, Mark 1, verses 1 to 11, St. Mark introduces John the Baptist, whose coming was foretold in the prophecy of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1, of the messenger who would prepare the way before the Lord's coming. The book of Malachi is placed last in the Old Testament in the Western Church precisely because of this prophecy. St. John the Baptist, the messenger or forerunner, is traditionally also known as the last prophet of the Old Testament. St. Mark's terse account does not give us a context concerning John. For context, the best sources are the Gospels of St. Luke and St. Matthew. St. Luke's pre-Nativity narrative in Luke 1, verses 11 to 25 informs Christians of the family relationship between John and the Blessed Virgin. John's parents were the baron Elizabeth, cousin to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and her elderly husband, Zacharias. Like the Blessed Virgin Mary, Zacharias was visited by the archangel Gabriel, who told him that his wife would conceive a son and that he would be named John. St. Luke informs us that when Mary, who had also conceived by miraculous means, visited Elizabeth, the unborn fetus of John jumped in Elizabeth's womb when the Blessed Virgin was near. The second source of context regarding John the Baptist is St. Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew 11, verse 14, he wrote that the coming of John fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy concerning the return of Elijah as a hairy man wearing a leather belt. Other prophecies concerning John are the prophecy of Isaiah 40 verse 3, which refers to one who would make the way straight. Zacharias sang about the prospects and expectations for his unborn son in the benedictus which you find in Luke 1 verses 68 to 79. Thus John the Baptist born of Elizabeth established himself early as a very unconventional sort of man living a life consistent with the Elijah prophecy that is in the wilderness away from the cities wearing clothes made of camel skin instead of fine linen with a leather belt around his waist, and crude sandals on his feet, eating whatever food he found in the wild, locusts and wild honey. He called for the repentance of sinners, baptizing them with water in the river Jordan. St. Mark's account tells us in chapter 1, verse 7, that John, when asked if he were the Messiah, foretold in prophecy, replied, There comes one after me, who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. The meaning of that statement may be unclear to modern readers. In the Hebrew tradition of the first century, and among Muslims today, no one of high birth would have touched anyone else's sandals the modern equivalent of shoes, much less stoop down to untie their laces. In verse 8, John continued this announcement, which is also a prediction of future events. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's verse 8. The gospel pericope ends with the appearance of Jesus of Nazareth and his baptism in the Jordan and the rare simultaneous appearance of all three persons of the Holy Trinity. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, incarnated in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the presence of the Holy Spirit is represented by the dove. In nearly all artistic representations of the baptism, the dove bears a banner with the words spoken by the Father, "Ecce Agnes Dei, literally the Lamb of God. The actual words spoken from heaven in verse 11 in Mark's account are, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The most obvious question raised in this pericope is, Why did Jesus, who had not sinned, subject himself to John's form of baptism by water? The answer is twofold. The first answer is that in accepting John's baptism, Jesus, quote, shines forth, unquote, to the whole world the validity of the message that John the Baptist had been preaching, that a Messiah would come and that repentance was necessary. By this humble act, Jesus validated John's personal ministry of witnessing and seeking repentance among the Jews and joined to himself the many followers of John. These would form the backbone of much of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. The second answer is found in Matthew 3.15, in which Jesus says, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus subjected himself to the same ritual ceremony, a symbol of righteousness in the same way he commanded for all who would follow him. In the Christian faith, baptism with water and the Holy Spirit replaces ritual circumcision as a rite of transition for a new Christian seeking fellowship in the new church. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this podcast homily are from the Bible study video series, New Testament Gospels, The Gospel reading for Second Sunday after the Epiphany, Mark 1, 1 1-11, is discussed and illustrated in Episode 7. St. Matthew's version is discussed in Episode 4. St. Luke's discussion of the Annunciation both to Zacharias and the Blessed Virgin is discussed in Episode 12, Episode 13, and Episode 14. And St. John's unique account, of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus is discussed and illustrated in episode 28. All episodes are linked from the New Testament page at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. In the 12 Days of Christmas, presented in 12 episodes from December 25th to January 5th, you can read about the theological theme, word, or phrase for each day and seasonal music for each of these 12 days. Included in the discussion is more on the Christian virtues and their practical applications. Love, key word for first day of Christmas, December 25th. Peace, the key word for third day of Christmas, December 27th. Compassion for the fourth day of Christmas, December 28th. Obedience for the fifth day, December 29th. Family for the 7th day, December 30th, and Commandments for the 10th day on January 3rd. In the Lives of the Saints in the first series, episode 5 is focused on St. Paul, episode 7 on St. Mark, John the Baptist in episode 10, St. Matthew of episode 14, and St. Luke of episode 16. In the Lord's Prayer, a Christian education video series presented in two episodes, the discussion of the Daily Bread petition is part of episode one. From the AIC bookstore publications, in the Gospel of Matthew, annotated and illustrated, the birth of John the Baptist treated as fulfillment of prophecy is discussed and richly illustrated in chapter one and the baptism of Christ in chapter three. In the Gospel of Luke, annotated and illustrated, the angelic annunciation to Zacharias and the birth of his son John the Baptist is discussed and illustrated in chapter 1. In the Beliefs of the Anglican Church, you can read the entry for Grace on pages 77 to 78. In Layman's Lexicon, interesting readings are Baptism, Benedictus or Song of Zacharias, Circumcision, Grace, and Virtue. In the writing Prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah is discussed and illustrated in Part 2, Chapter 1 on pages 13 to 20, including the special text box Isaiah in Christian Liturgy on page 16, and Malachi is discussed and illustrated in Part 3, Chapter 12 on pages 111, to 116, which includes the text box Malachi in Christian Liturgy and Old Testament slash New Testament parallels. Finally, the St. Chrysostom hymnal includes traditional epiphany hymns or carols not found in the venerable 1940 hymnal. All these AIC bookstore publications mentioned earlier are available using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the home page at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net or directly using my Amazon Author Central page, https colon, right slash, right slash, wwwamazoncom write author right slash ronald hyphen, e hyphen, shibley Everything after .com must be in lowercase letters. The closing prayer is the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb from Revelation fifteen verses three and four, which is used in the Eastern Church in the rite of baptism, followed by the Karlok for second Sunday after the Epiphany. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. And now the Collect. Almighty and everlasting God, who dost govern all things in heaven and earth, mercifully hear the supplications of thy people and grant us thy peace all the days of our life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.